On page 232 in the Bibles in front of you, I'm going to be continuing in Judges chapter 15. So if you'd like to follow along with me, I really wish you would. Uh, Page 232 in that Bible in front of you. But over 200 years ago, uh, a man named William Cowper wrote these words to a church hymn. And here's the, the verse. It says, God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. It seems that William Cowper wanted to remind us that our God is constantly working behind the scenes to accomplish His perfect will in our lives. Even when you don't see it, God is at work. And we see this truth in the life of one of the judges in Israel. His name was Samson. Samson was chosen by God before he was even born to lead the nation of Israel. Yet it seems through the scriptures we've been reading for the last several weeks that all Samson did was live for himself. Sadly, we have a lot of people in our lives today that are doing the same thing. Samson was to be a Nazarite. Samson was to be a man separated unto God in holiness and purity. Yet Samson seemed to live his whole life chasing ungodly women. And such is the epidemic in the world today when it comes to the pornography industry. We have men, even in the church, who are chasing after ungodly women. And you're going to see an inkling today of what happens if that continues to occur. We know that Samson was sinful. We know that Samson was selfish. We know that Samson was devoted to himself. Yet still, Samson was used by the Lord in spite of his failures and in spite of his weaknesses. You may recall last week after Samson's failed wedding, events quickly escalate way out of control. The Philistines had deceived him at his wedding, and then Samson went off and killed 30 other Philistines to settle a gambling debt. Samson's bride is then given to the best man. Samson gets mad and he retaliates by burning all the Philistines' crops. And then the Philistines respond by actually burning Samson's bride and her father to death. And then Samson retaliates back by killing countless enemy Philistines. So as hostilities begin continuing to intensify, today we're going to see how Samson's own people respond. How his own people respond. We're going to see that Samson was rejected by the very people that God had sent him to save. 
So let's look at a few of these lessons that the Bible has for us today in Samson, a rejected ruler. We're going to begin by looking at the attack of the Philistines. Again, Judges 15, page 232 and verse 9, the Bible says, Now the Philistines went up, encamped in Judah, and deployed themselves against the village of Lehi. Now, first you got to understand why the Philistines attacked God's people. What is the purpose behind that attack? Well, until now, all of Samson's activities had kind of been deemed a personal matter, right? It wasn't anything of national consequence. But now the Philistines realize they got a real problem on their hands. Because here is a man, a single man, who can single-handedly kill countless Philistines. And so the Philistines launched their attack into the nation of Judah to remind the Israelites just who's boss. Amen? So that's what we learn now. Here's the plan of the Philistines' attack. They deployed troops into Judah in order to take Samson into custody. They figure if they can cut the head off the snake, the snake will die, right? So, but they also deploy troops into Judah to respond to the revenge, to retaliate to this ever-escalating revenge for Samson's great slaughter of all these Philistine people. So the goal was, yes, it was twofold. One, to make Israel cower in fear to make them cower and remind them who is boss. And that is exactly what the Philistines did. But now I want you to see the program of the enemy attack. Now in this invasion of the Philistines, we see a perfect picture of how Satan, our enemy, and all of his forces attack us. How Satan and his forces attack his church. How Satan and his forces attack the people of God. And listen, his tactics have not changed since the day of Samson. They're the same. Amen? Just as the Philistines retaliate for what Samson did, you and I have got to be aware that the enemy is going to retaliate. He's going to retaliate. When we go into Satan's territory, when we go into the next generation, when we go into his territory, he will not sit idly by and just take it. When we as adults, as a church, send folks down to a church camp for young people and people get saved and people recommit their lives and people come back on fire for the Lord, Satan is not going to sit idly by and take it. Amen. He's going to fight back. You know, when you give your time to God, when you give your time to God like um, in prayer, in Bible study, in serving the Lord in your church, He is not going to sit idly by. Satan is going to retaliate by attacking you and by attacking our church. So we've got to be aware. He will send distractions into your life he will try to hinder you in any way from spending time in Bible study, in prayer, or in serving the Lord at a place like church camp. 
He will tie you up so you don't, here it comes, so you don't have time to serve the Lord. Sorry, God, I don't have time to serve you. I've got this going on, and I've got this going on. This is going on, and this is going on. I'm sorry, God, I don't have time. When you find yourself saying those things, thinking those things, you have to understand that that is a direct assault from Satan and his forces. I don't have time for you, God. Is something that one who's being attacked by the enemy would say. The enemy will send burdens. He'll send uh, distractions. I mean, just watch, for instance, as a church begins to grow. Watch, for, for instance, as God's people begin to truly worship God in spirit and truth. You watch as God's people begin to grow spiritually and they begin to plug back in to life groups and doing ministry and reaching out to the community and making a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. Just watch what happens. Satan will send disruptions from within and attacks from without. He's not going to sit idly by and just take it. He will do anything that he can do to undermine the work of an individual believer or the work of a church so that it will become ineffective for the cause of Jesus Christ. He's not going to stand by and just take it. So, has Satan succeeded in his goal? Kind of seems like it, doesn't it? Kind of seems like it in our world today. But I want you to know this. You and I ought to be living the kind of lives that Satan hates. We ought to be living the kind of lives that Satan hates and wants to attack. Bethel ought to be the kind of church that Satan hates. Bethel ought to be the kind of church that Satan loves to attack because we are working fearlessly to serve the Lord. Satan ought to hate us. Because we are fearlessly serving Jesus. He ought to hate us because we are unabashedly fearless in the way that we live our lives for Jesus. Satan ought to hate us because we ain't afraid. We ain't afraid to stand for truth, stand for Christ Jesus, and stand for the next generation. We're not scared, and we're going to fight back. But listen, y'all. If Satan hates us as individual believers... If Satan hates us as a church and he's going to attack us, just remember, he's coming after you. He's coming after your life. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your family. He's coming after this church. He's coming after our community. He hates us and he's going to attack us. And if he hates us, we can know that he's going to come. The only way to avoid Satan's attacks is to do nothing for Jesus. The only way to avoid the satanic attacks is never do anything for the cause of Christ. As long as you do nothing, maybe you'll be saved. 
But when you take your stand for the truth of God's word, when you take your stand for the righteousness of Jesus Christ in the believer, when you take your stand for the next generation of believers and children and young people, when you take your stand for Jesus Christ himself, listen, it's going to be just like you put a bullseye on your back. He's coming. He did in the days of Samson, and he'll do it in our day as well. Samson learned that when those Philistines attacked God's people. But here's one thing he didn't count on. He didn't count on his own people making an arrangement with the enemy. He didn't count on this arrangement with Judah. Let's read about it in verse 10. And the men of Judah, that's Samson's own people. The men of Judah said to the Philistines, Why have you come up against us? Why are you attacking us? And they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson and to do to him as he has done to us. In other words, we've come to exact our revenge. Verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I did to them. Samson exacted his revenge. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And so they spoke to him saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So here we have um, Judah rethinking their stand for God. But what was really the biggest concern of Judah? What was Judah's biggest concern? Well, when the Philistines attacked, the elders in Judah panicked. They freaked out. And they asked, they asked the Philistines, why are you guys attacking us? What have we done? We haven't done anything. And they say, we're coming after Samson because he killed so many of our countrymen. You see, the last thing that these men of Judah want to do is rock the boat. That's why Christians in churches don't get out there and serve the Lord like they should because they don't want to rock the boat. They're comfortable in their own little bubble, their own little comfort area, and they're not getting out of it. They're not going to rock that boat. Amen. The men of Judah were doing the same thing. So they give up their leader. It'd be like somebody coming in this church building right now and saying, hey, um, all you guys are going to jail unless you give up Brother Bill. I know what y'all would do. I mean, y'all go ahead and cuff it up. Amen. He, he gone. Amen. Praise God. Amen. But they give up their leader. Amen. But they don't even argue as to why. So they don't want to rock the boat. Right? So their concern leads to their compromise. Their concern leads to Judah's compromise. 3,000 men confront their leader, Samson, about what he's done. And he said, look, I just gave back what I got. 
right? Justifying his revenge. You remember last week? Well, with that confession, those 3,000 men of Judah take Samson into custody. Right? And I want you to notice something, though. Neither Samson nor any single one of those 3,000 men in Judah mention God. Neither Samson or any of those men of Judah mention the national persecution the Philistines are inflicting on God's people. Neither Samson nor those men in Judah mention the oppressive rule of the Philistines over God's people. Samson is only concerned with Samson. And the men of Judah, on the other hand, all they've worried about is they've just kind of accepted, well, I guess we're going to be slaves to Philistines for the rest of our lives. We'll never be anything more than the Philistine slaves that we are today. And since Samson doesn't want to fight his own people, right, he allows them to bind him securely with ropes that have never been used. Now that turns out to be the first act of wisdom that we read about Samson. He doesn't fight his own people. He just allows God's will to be done. So they don't want to rock the boat. That concern led to Judah's compromise... But now with their compromise, we see that Judah is forced to make a choice. See, for every time you compromise, every time you compromise the Lord, you're going to come to the place where you're going to have to draw a line in the sand and make a choice. You're going to have to make a choice. The men of Judah choose bondage instead of freedom. The people of Judah choose their existing situation instead of God's will for their nation. They, in effect, chose the enemy Philistines over their own leader, the very man that God chose to deliver them from the enemy. Now, at some point, you've got to decide whose side you're on. You remember what Joshua said? He said, you choose for yourself who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So you've got to decide, who am I going to serve? Whose side am I on? You're either going to fight with the Lord's army, or you're going to fight against the Lord's army. You choose. Jesus said it this way. He who is not with me, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So are you gathering with Jesus? Or are you being used by the enemy just to scatter abroad? Now, Samson probably expected these Philistines to take revenge. He probably expected these Philistines to attack but he never in his wildest dreams thought for a second that the very people that he led would make an arrangement with the enemy. There's a lot of churches out there that are making arrangements with the enemy. That leads us to our concluding point, and that is the accomplishment of Samson. Let's continue to read in verse 14 for a couple of verses. Because when he came to Levi, Lehi, 
the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he reached out his hand, and he took it, and he killed, get this, a thousand men with the jawbone of that donkey. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he called that place Ramoth-Lehi. Ramoth-Lehi. So when Samson is delivered to the Philistine army, they must have thought, whew, we're out of trouble now. They must have thought, all right, all of our troubles are over. We've cut off the head of the snake. The snake's going to die. And as Samson was bound up, as he was bound up, they started shouting in victory. Undoubtedly because they were planning to kill him. Of course, we know that their excitement was going to be short-lived because we see in the next verse the revelation of Samson's power and where it came from. In spite of Samson's failures, God continued to use him. Amen? In spite of his failure, in spite of his weakness, God continued to use Samson. And we're told here that the Spirit of God came mightily upon Samson. Those new ropes that were bound, uh, he was bound with became as easy to break as threads on fire. He just busted them loose. Listen to you. Listen, y'all. The path of liberty in your life always comes through the Spirit of God. The path of liberty in your life always comes through the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Bible says, Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. We see that in Samson. It broke like threads on fire. See, we're often bound by sins, aren't we? We're often bound by bad behaviors. We're often bound by bad choices and bad decisions. We're often bound by countless things. We're often bound by the challenges in life. We're often bound by our problems. We're often bound by our circumstances. But when we yield to the Spirit of God, and when we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then things that bind us begin to lose their power, and those binds are broken. And we begin to live in liberty. We're set free. Set free to serve the Lord God Almighty. So the secret of liberty in our Christian life, friend, is to yield to the control of the Spirit every moment of every day. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians chapter 5. He said, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And then in verse 25, he says, if we will just live in the spirit, live in the spirit, we will also be able to walk in the spirit. So the revelation of Samson's power was the spirit of God that was in his life. But also I want to point out what the weapon of Samson's performance was. 
Check this out. Samson killed a thousand men with the fresh jawbone of a dead donkey. A thousand men with the fresh jawbone of a dead donkey. Do you see any problems with that yet? Think back to previous messages. Is a Nazarite supposed to touch anything dead? Amen? He's already got a problem, right? You wouldn't think so, but a jawbone is probably the world's most dangerous weapon. Think about it. There's more damage that's been done in lives, in families, and even in churches with a jawbone than with any other weapon. James put it this way. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, set among its members so that it defiles the whole body, and it is set on fire by hell itself. One ancient Greek philosopher said, you know, I have often regretted my speech, but I've never regretted my silence. A lot of damage has been done with jawbones. But that was the weapon of Samson's performance. Now I want to point out the root of his problem that still existed. After Samson's victory, he composes this short little poem. And in it, he renames the place where he slaughtered that thousand Philistines, Ramoth-Lehi. Now, Ramoth-Lehi means Jawbone Hill. He renamed the victory site Jawbone Hill. He is so happy with himself. He is so pleased by his victory. He is so untroubled by the fact that he has once again defiled himself. Right? He has once again touched a dead carcass. He's once again touched a dead animal. And by using the jawbone of this dead donkey, unclean donkey, he's violating his vow of separation once again. It's another reminder that God in his sovereignty, God in his power can still use uh, those of us who have been weak in following the will of God. God, I'm so glad that my sin doesn't derail God's plan. Amen? But did you notice something? Did you notice that Samson is fighting all alone? All by himself. That's a reminder of another sad truth. If you're going to serve the Lord, you probably ought to be ready to do it alone. Thankfully, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who come alongside us and help us in our battles. But out there, you're likely going to be standing alone. That's what we tried to instill in our young people. Hey, guys, you know, when you're, when you're here at church camp, man, it's a piece of cake to worship the Lord. It's a piece of cake to honor Him and live for Him and talk like you belong to Him. But, man, you're getting ready to go back to school getting ready to go back into a circle of friends, perhaps a broken family. You're getting ready to go into all manner of environments that are not as conducive to the Lord's work as church camp is. You better beware and you better be ready to go at it alone. Now, many have stood alone against the world. Many have stood alone against sin. Many have stood alone against evil. And it may appear to you like you are all alone. But I want to remind you, you never really are. There is one who matters 
more than any human being who is always, always with you. And the psalmist spoke about this person in Psalm 121. In verse 1 he says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where is my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He who made heaven and earth, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He will keep you and he will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. The Lord shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You may feel like you're all by yourself trying to be a good Christian, but you're not alone. The Spirit of God is within, and the Lord God Almighty is without, guiding your steps and helping you to be the man and woman that you ought to be. Anybody remember Roger Staubach? Raise your hand if you know who Roger Staubach is. Good to all you old-timers. Amen. Praise the Lord. Roger Staubach was the MVP quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys when they won the 1971 NFL Super Bowl. Now, Roger Staubach admitted that he rarely ever called a play. In a, in a time of, of the NFL, when most quarterbacks called their own plays, Roger never did. He said, Coach Tom Landry sent in every play. He told me when to pass. He told me when to run. And he told me that only in emergency situations could I change the play. And if I change the play, I better be right. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry one of the most genius minds of NFL football, he said there was a time when my ego sometimes got the best of me. There were times when my ego would say, wait a minute here. I'm the leader of this offense. I should be able to choose and call my own plays. Later, Roger Staubach said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. He said, once I learned to obey Coach Landry, it was amazing how there was harmony. When I obeyed the coach, it was amazing how fulfilling it was. When I obeyed the coach, 9.5 times out of 10, we were victorious. If this passage we've been studying today is about anything, it's about obedience for the Christian. This is about obeying God, y'all. It's about the issue of obedience. Picture this. When, when Samson failed in his obedience, tragedy followed. What happens when we're disobedient? Tragedy follows, right? When the nation of Judah, God's own people, failed to be obedient, compromise followed. When you're disobedient, you come to a place where you've got to make a choice. Am I going God's way or the world's way? 
When we walk in obedience, we too will find this harmony with God that we desire. We will find fulfillment in our lives. And just as importantly, we will get victory over the enemy. And in this day and time, we need that. And the key is obedience. It's not this incredibly difficult concept. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Amen? Amen? It's a simple concept. It just ain't easy to do. It's not easy to be obedient because we want what we want when we want it. So when we walk in obedience, we have this harmony and this fulfillment and this victory. But when we don't, your world turns upside down. Chaos results. Emptiness occurs. And failure inevitably happens. So friends, listen. Where does this message find you today? If you had to score your obedience to God, one or ten, what would your score be? This is the key to harmony, fulfillment, and victory. What would your score be? Do you clearly stand for the truth of God? Do you clearly stand on the Word of God in every area of your life? Do you clearly stand for the Lord Himself? Do you clearly stand for the things of God like Bible study, like prayer, like worship, like, like serving the Lord? Those things are all intricately tied in to obedience. If you're not clearly standing for those things that you should, do you find that you've been disobedient? If you're honest, have you found that, you know what, I, I've been compromising. I've been trying to walk that, that fence. I'm trying to straddle the fence. But who owns the fence? Who owns the fence? Satan owns the fence. So you can't straddle the fence because Satan owns that too. So you've got to choose God. Or the enemy, you can't ride the fence. Have you been cooperating with the enemy? Accomplices is just as bad as the perpetrator. Think about what the nation of Judah did. They turned over their leader, Samson, to the Philistines. They didn't kill him, but they turned him over to be killed is not an accomplice of a crime equally guilty as a perpetrator of a crime? I fear that oftentimes we are accomplices because we compromise and we cooperate with the enemy. Maybe like Samson, you have allowed yourself to become defiled. You're participating in something you know you ain't got no business. Maybe you're, you're doing something, you're participating in something that is certainly not godly. And maybe you need to get clean. King David once needed to get clean. You remember that in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, sinful, King David 
had her husband killed so that he could be with her. And when Nathan the prophet brought it to his attention and he felt the sting of conviction, King David fell on his face before the Lord. And here's what he said. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me against you, God, and you only have I done this thing. Continues in verse 7 saying, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is basically a mint type herb that was known for cleansing and purifying He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. You see, the sin is not only a spiritual problem, it's a physical problem. Sin will make you downright sick in your body. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me that was his urgent plea before God and we know that in Psalm 34 God blessed him with the forgiveness that he sought he blessed him with the cleansing that he needed maybe you need a cleansing in your life maybe you're just downright discouraged you're just tired of being tired you're tired of the battle You're tired of feeling like you're battling the enemy all alone. And maybe these battles of life are just getting the best of you. Maybe your home life is shambles. Maybe your workplace is so toxic you can't hardly stand it. Maybe today you just want to stand up and take your place with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and tell Him, Jesus, I'm standing with you, I'm standing for you, and I know you're going to stand with me as I go through the struggles of life. As the enemies attack me, I know you're going to be there to fight for me. So however the Lord has spoken to your heart today, during this decision time, during this song, this altar is open. If there is a need to pray, if there's a need for you to seek something that God needs, the only God can give you, I want to encourage you to do that. This is God time. It's decision time. It's response time. Let me pray for you.